Hey everyone, we're back with a new episode of the Utility Strategy Podcast. And today we're going to take a deep dive into subsurface utility engineering. And for that matter, we've brought on a professional who's taken on the challenge of Sue in the name of some of the most known brands in the industry. So uh, without further ado, Albert Taylor, how are you doing today? Hey, David, I'm good. Doing well. How are you? Good. Not too bad at all. So tell us, uh, tell the listeners a bit about yourself. Who's Albert? What have you been up to? Sure. So um, my name's Albert Taylor. I um, am a subsurface utility engineering project manager. I started probably about a decade and a few years ago. So maybe 12 years ago uh, in the industry before that, spent about a decade in construction. So was doing a lot of land clearing, um, site prep for developments uh, or roadway projects. Um, and during that time, really got a good look at, you know, utility impacts and how that really delayed a lot of projects. Um, and during the downturn of 2008, construction was really slow. So um, was looking yeah. for other avenues, um, found myself working for an engineering firm locally in, in Jacksonville, Florida, and started out from the bottom um, as a suit technician, learning the equipment, why we're out there locating, what the business really is, and and started from the ground up. What are you up to today? These days, I am a subsurface utility engineering project manager for SGC, and we do projects for a lot of utility owners, but that overlaps. Of course, the industry takes you into transportation projects for uh, right-of-way owners, DOT. Um, right now, we, we're we doing projects all over the East Coast. So we have a footprint that, that takes us anywhere from Ohio to, to Florida. And we say we cover the uh, East of the Mississippi, so. Yeah. I, th you are, I think uh, um, you were the second guest we've had on from uh, from Florida in a month. So uh, lots yeah. of uh, lots of Sioux going on in Florida at the moment. I think there's a, there's a, a, a less of an educational gap in around Sioux than there is in other places in the country. Yeah, there's just a lot going on in Florida, quite frankly, in general. So <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it's a large demand everywhere. Yeah. So, Albert, tell, tell us a bit about, like, how do you perceive at a very high level the challenge of subsurface utilities? Like, what's a, what's the perspective of SGC? So, SGC understands that our clients, uh, whether it be utility owners or right-of-way owners, project owners in general, uh, the common consensus is that utilities are uh, an issue, uh, underground utilities specifically, obviously, because they're not blatantly apparent as to where they are within their project limits. Um, unfortunately, I think, as we all know, utility records are sparse, um, incomplete or inaccurate altogether. And it makes it challenging for our clients to plan accordingly um, or avoid any utility conflicts in general. And that what is a big- What type of clients are they? Say that again. What type of clients do you guys work with? Mainly in the energy sector. Um, a lot of utility owners, 
power companies, gas companies, um, water, sewer, telecom. If they make a, if they have a utility or if they own one, uh, we do a lot of work directly with them, surveying and sue as well. Um, we do engineering also and have a GIS department that really kind of coincides and helps us deliver a full package because that's ultimately what they need. Not only the data uh, regarding utilities, but um, how to get their utilities from point A to point B, as well as a, a platform to track everything that we do and everything that we may encounter that, that's going to be valuable to them. So it's also uh, basically, a, what's a, what's a, the word, managing the, the assets for the utility owners and also kind of them as a project owner thinking about, okay, where's, where's the next pipeline going? Correct. They're, they're really focused on uh, being able to reach their customers, um, supplying demand, and we, as their consultant, need to be looking out for the same things, how we can make that easier and how we can deliver a better product. Yeah. So what, like, I think that one of the biggest challenges that engineers have today when they, uh, they take on a project, mainly at early stages of uh, at design, and they start doing uh, record research and they reach out to the utility owners and the utility owners, well, uh, it doesn't take them uh, two minutes to respond. So any thoughts about, about that? Like, do you guys help the utility owners, like maybe fast track that process, maybe by giving them uh, updated data or kind of updating their uh, utility management? Sure. So you're right. It, we, we all wish it took only two minutes to get a response from, from utilities, but um, I think we all understand that that's not their main breadwinner is maintaining their records and being able to distribute them as easily as we may like. So we provide a solution for that, um, which is subsurface utility engineering. Um, and part of that process is records collection and providing that to the clients to get a better look up front as to how to plan uh, accordingly, whether it's a long corridor, a congested roadway, um, or green space that they're going to develop on. Collecting those utility records as part of uh, our operation is subsurface utility engineering. So we reach out to those utilities in the conceptual stage as early as we can be notified of a project in order to kind of buffer that uh, delay that might happen. We understand that we may not get utility records from anyone or we may get sparse utility records. We may not get any response, but part of Part of the experience in the industry, I believe, is, is keeping a relationship with a lot of the utilities uh, in order to at least know who to contact. Sometimes that's the biggest hurdle that I found is the contact information that may be listed out there is a decade old and that person has retired um, or three people have taken their place and nobody in the department really understands what they should or, or what their responsibilities are uh, when you when they get the request if they were, if they ever get it. So yeah. that's a, it's definitely a huge challenge and it, and it really, it really prevents a lot of, a lot of action up front because you can waste a lot of time searching for something that may or may not be there. Who, who is responsible in the utility owners, uh, facility owners, depending who you ask for basically, 
delivering records or kind of being transparent with the rest of the industry, kind of for being a team player, so to speak. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I think each utility is ultimately responsible for retaining their own records, um, but whether or not they're really obligated to disseminate them is is up for debate. I think I think we get them when they can, and a lot of utilities, you know, recognize that um, there's a lot of people out there, especially engineers that are designing projects that want to that want to help and just want to incorporate their information into their project um, in order to stay away from them or or design around them, or at least be notified that there's a congested area that they otherwise wouldn't be aware of because there's no above ground features to really display that or indicate that. So, you know, I think the utilities understand the problem. I don't think that the issue is apparently or easily solved, I guess. So we're all trying to work together towards the same goal. Um, but again, you know, there's a lot of moving parts um, just to, from a utility owner's perspective, if you do have somebody that retires that has been in a certain seat for a long time and they have all the utility knowledge, um, unfortunately, knowing what that succession plan is for the outside world to know who to contact if that person retires or has somebody else take their place, uh, being able to update contact lists and, and, and spread the word so that everybody knows who to contact isn't necessarily a, a, an easy, simple solution. Well, what is the title of someone like that? Like if I'm, if I'm an engineer and I say, okay, I want to re- find that guy. Do I go on LinkedIn? Do I look for damage prevention? What am I looking for? That's a, that's a good question. I guess if you were to ask me and if I were on site, I would say the facilities manager who is probably back in, a, in an operating room somewhere that has some scars on his knuckles that's probably the guy you want to talk to because he probably knows where everything is whether it's on a piece of paper or not um but in general i think the the best way to approach it is to uh, access any lists that are public a lot of dot's will retain a contact list uh, themselves at least down here in florida i know that that each, each district will retain a uh, utility contact list and they try and keep it updated with the folks that are relevant uh, in those positions that can can get you records or be involved with the project and, and what their role should be. Do, do they also uh, keep track of where, which utility owners are aware? Like, do they also act as some sort of uh, 811 or is that, that just what, like, or is there a difference between them? So there's some overlap. They understand who is in their right-of-ways, but that is simply based on who submits permits. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in conjunction with 811 system here in Florida, the one-call system obviously by statute requires that utility owners join to be a part of the system. So their system, 811s, that is geographically keeps records of who submits um, their subscription as a utility owner to that geographical area. So you can be aware of the utility owner. And then beyond that, that contact information should be on 811, but sometimes isn't always updated. So 
from there, uh, you can use that information to contact the, the utility owner directly based on the results of 811 and hopefully get in touch with somebody directly at the utility company to, to further the process and sort of narrow the scope and hopefully get you what you need within a timely manner. Yeah, but I think that uh, we all, like I think that we all in the industry use 811. We all we all make the call, right? Or at least or at least the, the sure. law-abiding citizens and the professionals make the call, right? Um, Correct. But I think that there's, like 811 can only do so much, right? Like you can't, sure. you can't, uh, take the locator's work as is and say, okay, now we're going to design based on the on these markings. Now we're going to, uh, like, even if you file a design ticket, like, it's not enough, man. It's not enough. And I think that a lot of people are treating 811 like a free sue, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Like, does that, uh, does that make sense? I think that's been a long, long-standing practice, unfortunately, and makes for some hard, hard lessons learned, especially when the contractor shows up and the project owner gets hit with uh, immediately a list of change orders based on <laughs> based on just a preliminary site review of what's actually and apparently within their project limits versus what they were notified or incorporated in the design. So eight one one, you know, we don't we don't supplement eight one one. We work with eight one one. I work with a lot of those those folks on a daily basis and quite frankly, couldn't, couldn't really, I couldn't imagine operating without them because they do a, a valuable yes. service. Unfortunately, it's the, it's also the case that there's a lot of abandoned facilities that are still in the right of way that, you know, aren't in any records anywhere and don't, and there's not a lot of historical knowledge of a lot of the utility locators to know that those are there. So otherwise they would have no, no indication that there's something else that they're potentially missing. And what's the, what, what's the SOP on those abandoned lines? Like, what, how, how does that work? Like, how do we find the utility owner? If it even, uh, if, if we're even able to find it, that's a good question. I've been involved in a, few cases, depending on who the project owner is or the right-of-way owner, and they go a little differently. Uh, I can say that my understanding of the department here in Florida, their, their stance, as I understand it, is for the utility owner to still retain those records uh, and have them marked out because it's still an asset in their right-of-way, whether it's out of service or not. However, I think that's mainly prevalent more in the telecom industry. And so with telecoms being turned over quite a bit uh, with acquisitions and mergers, staff gets switched around, procedures get mixed up and through transitions, that knowledge goes away and those records aren't, aren't available anymore. So those are really tough to really be notified or, or even know that there's a possibility that they're, they're within your project. Yeah, especially the old, uh, the old organizations that have, uh, like all they have is hard copies buried in a basement. And uh, like, I love to give the example, like a basement in a building in the outskirts of a town that no one's ever heard of, right? Right. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Sounds about right. 
<laughs> and, you yeah. know, sometimes, you know, you get you get a, a utility record on the back of a napkin. And, you know, quite frankly, it's I'm careful these days of saying that something's better than nothing. So I won't say that. But, um, you know, they do the best they can. Unfortunately, there's not a, a simple one to one solution for it. So that's what that's where Sue or subsurface utility engineering comes into play. Yeah, tell me how does uh, um, like I I, li I like I try to imagine what a utility coordinator of a large GC working on a large infrastructure project like a flag project of me of the DOT or something like that, and they need to take on all these relationships with the utility owners and with with other utility stakeholders and make sure that they have all the data that they need locked down in one place and make sense to everyone. And I think that today there is a challenge of creating that one source of truth for the project, so to speak, that like one truth that everyone can agree on. And I think that especially when you look at the, uh, like they're like abandoned lines, undocumented lines, it's just like one aspect of it, right? Like, I think there's just, there's so many complexities that go into uh, dealing with the different stakeholders and the different types of buried utilities. Yeah, that's a good, good point. I think we in the industry have a tendency to, if we've heard of Sue before, or we've had experience with utility locators, we understand vaguely what needs to happen. I think that you brought up a good point that each utility system, quite frankly, is different. And uh, a locator that is familiar with a water system doesn't necessarily equate to a, a telecom system or the downfalls and some of the challenges that come with actually locating those facilities in the, in the field. So you're exactly right. Utility coordination um, requires a lot of a lot of relationship building and a lot of understanding of a lot of different systems. I can tell you personally that I'm not uh, a, an expert in water, telecom, electricity, gas, or anything else that exists out there. But having an understanding from being able to practically apply the knowledge to locate each system and correlate that information, whether you do or don't come up with any results. So sometimes you can you can trace out a utility and you can answer all your questions. That's a rare case. But when you come up short, at least conveying where you come up short succinctly and clearly is is really the value a lot of times because you can upgrade to a, a further investigation of, of, of excavation. What would that kind of be? Uh, what, what would you say would be the ideal process for a, a utility coordinator going through such a such an infrastructure project? Like, what would you say would be kind of okay? This is kickoff. This is where this is where we start. This is where we bring everyone together and we have an honest discussion about how this uh, project is going to work for everyone. And where is kind of that that uh, finish line? that everyone says, okay, now, now we're ready to start construction. Now we're ready to start excavating. 
Sure, I think that process can be slightly different depending on the project owner's needs or the project's needs. I know that the department here in Florida has quite a a, a robust, a robust uh, system and expects sort of consistency. So their their expectations are pretty well laid out. I think that it all starts with you know record record collection, contacting utilities gathering any information that you can within the project limits. If you can identify any possibility of a utility owner within those limits and then make contact with those utility companies, make them aware of your plans as soon as you can get a set of them so that they understand at least where the general limits are. They can sign off and say that, you know, we're either in your limits or we're not within your limits, or we may have compensable rights as far as easements, you know, that are adjacent or or intersect with your project limits. So starting there is at least a point at which you can get everybody to the table and get conversation going. And I think that not only builds relationships, but helps them understand that you're there to, to kind of help out, help look, look out for them as well as the project owner. Because as a utility coordinator, I think that's ultimately your, your job is to make all utility systems known within the project limits uh, as reasonably as reasonably as possible do, do you find that uh, in such situations utility owners are upfront with uh, with their data I'm asking because you know we hear a lot about especially in the in the realm of telecom that they're not uh, so excited to share their utility data because a lot of times it indicates where their next markets are so if you're kind of in a uh small town small uh small neighborhood and you're looking like a one street project like so it may not be a big of a deal because everyone needs access to the broadband but if you're on on a interstate right so that that may be an indication for them to where uh their next market is yeah that's i mean that's another challenge that you hit right on the head uh, proprietary uh, rules and, and regulations internally with with certain utility owners can really hang up their willingness to provide records. And so I think part of that relationship is is a big part once they get a little understanding of, of where these records are going and, and what's their intent. I think it puts them at ease somewhat. It doesn't necessarily <laughs> unlock a, a magic door that gets you all the records. <laughs> but I mean, I wish it did. But yeah, I think there are some folks that are a little bit more willing to provide you with something, whether it's uh, at a higher level and more vague, um, or at least provide you with some some sort of information to guide you to be able to answer the question yourself. And I think that's purely... Can you give an example for something like that? Like what uh, what would that look like? I think it would look like in a certain instance, I can recall having a, a, a telecom company be hesitant to provide records for whatever reason, I'm not necessarily sure, but after repeated contacts and sort of going through the project, initially at 30%, we didn't get much information at all. Moving towards 60%, their lack of response stored, started to elevate in my opinion because the engineers were shifting the drainage 
alignments to avoid other utilities. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not moving into conflict with others yeah. that they just don't know about. Yeah. So once you sort of get wind of that as a, as a utility coordinator or anybody involved with the project, uh, once you let the utilities know that that's, that's sort of what's going on and that may impact them more than they initially thought, you can provide them with an updated set of plans or just the simple knowledge that things are changing. And that sort of gets the response maybe elevated to somebody that can make a call to provide you with some sort of record um, or an indication to point a suit consultant to the field with some hookup points or whatever may be necessary to, to narrow their search. And tell me if they, if they don't respond throughout the project, they're not willing to play ball, so to speak. Who's uh, who's liable? Like if, if something happens to a to to a pipeline or to a uh, a fiber, like who, who's to blame? That's a good question, and maybe it depends uh, on the the judge of the day. I guess I'll say I, I <laughs> I've been fortunate to see rare occurrences of of damages, and and even rare to understand how they ultimately play out. But you hear the horror stories of, you know, some contractor cutting a fiber and black helicopters and black SUVs show up wanting to take somebody to jail. So <laughs> there's a lot of sensitive infrastructure out there and that's, yeah. you know, not an ideal situation. But I think the responsibilities on everyone that, that's involved, I think everybody plays a part. And I think, again, you can't communicate, coordinate or cooperate. Uh, enough on a project you know i think that's um why utility coordinators and sue professionals in general play such a an important part in any infrastructure project because they create transparency between the stakeholders so it sort of diffuses the blame game like the fingers pointing like the excavator is responsible. No, it's a GC who's re responsible. It's a designer who's responsible. It's a utility owner who's re responsible. It's a project owner who didn't give me the right construction plans. And it's like, yeah, well, um, if only we would have invested or done enough uh, subsurface utility engineering, maybe we wouldn't have these discussions. Yeah, it can become a a real back and forth. Everybody's got their own interests. Everybody's got, you know, timelines and, and, and budgets and constraints that are beyond anybody's control. And I think everybody generally understands that. But I think, again, the, the relationship aspect is probably the most valuable. Uh, understanding that your contractor's out there trying to do a good job, your engineers trying to do a good job, your utility owners are trying to do a good job. The right-of-way owners are trying to meet demands that we all want uh, in, in terms of yeah. improvements. So, yeah, it's Sue can be that bridge gap uh, because our goal is simply to make the unknown known and get it on a set of plans as early as possible so that we can start making accommodations one way or the other and at least know where we're at. I mean, you can't, you can't build in blank space, and that's not the real world. So... Ultimately, you need to know where you're at before you can know where you're going. Tell me, what, what do you think, what are your thoughts about the challenge of personnel 
at the moment for Sue, for the industry? I think personnel is a challenge, not only from simply the demand side and not generally having enough people, but I think there's a lot of uh, older guys, like the guys that are in a maintenance room somewhere with scars on their knuckles or experienced coordinators or whomever that might be, that they're um, getting to the point of retirement or, or finding other avenues and you know, whatever the case may be, um, that creates a shortage in the industry and a lot of context, I think, leaves with them, unfortunately. So I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of those older guys and have gleaned whatever I can at any point that I can for with whatever they're willing to share. And just in the interest of trying to be better at what you do, I, I can't imagine doing something on a day to day basis that you don't want to perfect or or try and be the best at. And so uh, for that reason, yeah, I've been fortunate to work with a lot of uh, older fellas uh, and folks all over in design, construction, from the utility side, and gotten a lot of great knowledge that I don't think, I can't imagine not having at this point. You know, we hear a lot of stories from uh, professionals who kind of say, yeah, we took uh, the most senior a person in the office, we drove out to the road and he just uh, showed us where they put the uh, pipelines into the ground in the 80s and 90s. And I think I think that's the exact context that you were talking about, that once these people retire, you're not going to have those road trips anymore. And then the question is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do when these people aren't around? Like, how are we going to take all the utility data that they have stored inside their head and give it to our clients. I've said a lot of times I wish there was a, a USB port in someone's ear sometimes that I could download all the knowledge that they had. Unfortunately, that hasn't come to pass not yet. yet. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I see a lot in the industry in general that people are working. They recognize it as a problem, at least. Um, so there's been a lot of interesting talk as to how to either share that knowledge that they have or take a different avenue so that the, the, the results and the information isn't solely dependent on somebody's knowledge or recollection. So, you know, Florida Utility Coordinating Committee has a lot of roundtable discussions that I've been a part of over the years that, that try and attack somewhat of both, um, particularly in the, in, in the way that they move to include Sioux operations with a lot of legislations to make utilities traceable. Um, so I think everybody, I'd say everybody, I think a lot of people recognize that that's, a, that's an issue and are trying to resolve it. But again, I just don't know what that magic answer is. No, I don't think there is a magic answer because even uh, like we're seeing other states, right, that are saying, okay, everything that gets put in the ground from uh, this day onwards uh, needs to be fully documented to, I'll go as, as far as saying, quality level A, right? Um, right. And, right, like I, I'm going like completely. Uh, if everything was open trenched, then yeah, we can do that. Exactly, right? But, <laughs> um, but, but the question is, you know, even if we did that, what are we going to do with the pipelines that have been put into the ground in the past century? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's hard to retrofit 
aging systems that are three generations old that were installed from the 50s uh, to to really know where they are or or have them documented retroactively. So that's a that's a huge issue. You're working in the East Coast, so maybe maybe even from the 1800s, <laughs> right? Like that. Those are around still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. I'm still surprised at what people will pull out of the ground sometimes in construction projects that you get indications of in the field and have no idea what it is until they end up excavating and, and removing it. So that that includes systems that are way older than I even understood were were still in place some some places. So yeah, they don't have they don't have the documentation for those ones at all no if so if there was a central hub to vet and um collate all the information that's being collected it would be it would be probably more valuable than than a lot of other aspects and save a lot of time for a lot of folks yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent and tell me when you uh, the clients that uh, that you work with are you do you sometimes get pushback of kind of well why uh, why do I need this like what why should I be investing in subsurface utility engineering and how do you how do you kind of tackle that like how do you say look this is a, this is a return on investment for our work this is this is what happens when you do it right. Yeah, I think there's always generally some pushback. Uh, it doesn't necessarily reveal itself as pushback sometimes, just a hesitancy to really entertain the process at all. And that usually, in my opinion, seems to stem from having such a wide array of experiences with some suit consultants. Understanding what you're going to get um, can be subjective, understanding what the client wants. Sometimes the clients want uh, one aspect of it and find um, a certain procedure valuable. They may find that GPR is the best avenue to go. Some have an understanding that you know, passive scanning, no matter what the equipment sort of as a package can be most valuable. But I think having the experience to know what project you're looking at and have some discussions up front about possibilities usually opens the door to getting a response, at least for me, from a client as to, I didn't know that that was possible, or I didn't know that that was a standard piece of equipment that should come along with it. So I think providing those experiences and, and sort of tangible um, experience with with other projects and, and, and how they ended up what the result was. Yeah, so can you give finding, me an example? Sure, sure. So on um, a on a treatment plant, for example, there's many utilities that are possibly just old sections of utility that aren't aren't tied into anything, um, and old abandoned structures, thrust blocks, all kinds of things that you will encounter um, when trying to design or trying to perform sue is really hard and subjective and challenging to really provide a a sure answer to. It's not like a, a linear roadway project where you get a lot of linear uh, indications of utilities. So you get a lot of overlapping, a lot of signals that may not necessarily make sense. But 
at the same time, you can get those indications uh, that are more accurate as opposed to records. If you were to just incorporate records and send out a crew to go dig up what the design firm thinks is there based on records, you may end up coming up short in a lot of your excavations just because they're off by six to 10 feet. But you could have indications if you, yeah, if you, you know, if you, if you took another avenue. So just explaining that, you know, the designating portion or having crews go out and, and find things with pipe and cable locators and ground penetrating radar, at least even if in a limited or focused fashion, can really save a lot of time and answer a lot of questions that they otherwise wouldn't even know to ask. Yeah, you know, I think, though, that in some in some states, there's even still a conversation about what what is what is like what like there's I think that in the more developed DOTs, like you look at Texas, Florida, New York, like these places like California, Caltrans, you're not doing anything without without having a suit team on deck. But there are are Colorado, which is a great example for the, with the legislation that, uh, that that was passed there. Uh, but I think there are other states where that conversation is, uh, is still happening. Yeah, I agree. I think part of that conversation happens almost on a daily basis for us as as suit practitioners. We find ourselves in a in a conversation where sometimes it's a requirement to have suit based on the project owner and the contractor may not really understand what what is possible or what's typical or, or what it is at its core foundation anyway so always trying to you know, find a brief synopsis of what it includes what it entails the benefits of it and being able to customize the effort as well not always uh, attacking every project with a full-scale 3D modeling approach that may be overkill for some project that can can sort of turn people's opinions off about the process before it even gets started. In, uh, in, Flor um, in Florida, for the DOT there, is it mandatory to have a Sioux as part of your project? Sure. So for roadway projects, Sioux is included with every project to what extent is somewhat dependent on the project needs, but that's similar to, to any project. Yeah. But well, at some level, have... there's coordination or, or sue that takes place. Yeah, just uh, one of our posts recently, there was a conversation with uh, Brenda from, uh, was a leading leader at NUCA. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think it's Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken, and she she really elaborated there on kind of uh, not only the what is required by state, what the, what is the state law for for uh, uh, basically being able to track the utilities. So utility owners have to keep uh, utility data on their assets uh, based on the Sioux standard. So they all need to have, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't read it uh, deeply, but they all need to have quality level D and C. And she, mm -hmm. uh, in the legislation that she was pushing for, she wanted all of them to have uh, to have at least B. 
but she kind of mentioned uh, I, I hope that I, I read it correctly, but uh, and she kind of mentioned that she wasn't able to to push that agenda yet, but they're working on it on it now. Um, so it's in, it's interesting to see where the different states are are taking this or taking these industry standards that you know they're they're they haven't been uh they haven't been here for too long like uh, what is it two three decades i think jim Anspach was telling us that uh really the breakthrough of uh, sue was kind of in the early 2000s that's when it kind of really started taking off um so it's just interesting to see what's uh what's happening in all these states yeah i think it gained a lot of popularity mid 90s to early 2000s I know there's firms that have been doing it since the since the 80s and probably before. Yeah, but it's gained a lot of popularity. And for that, I think increases the demand for for folks that those experienced folks that we were, we were talking about earlier become even even more valuable because the demand has grown based on a lot of knowledge and, and, and spreading the word and the benefits. But uh, again, with that comes uh, the demand side. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, two last questions for our episode as we uh, as we close up. First question: What would be one thing that you think Sioux professionals need to need to keep their eye on when they take on new projects? I think there's a lot of things to keep your eye on, unfortunately, but I think one thing is to really understand the client's needs and understand ultimately who they're, who they're serving. A lot of, a lot of contracts are through a sub and you can end up being a third tier sub as a supervisor. And I think your, your knowledge of not necessarily who you're directly providing the information to but who it's ultimately going to and how it's going to be used is probably a key part of how you'll end up approaching a project and really clear up a lot of things that may be misconstrued even through uh, who you may be directly contracted with. And last question, who do you think should be next on our podcast? (laughs) Is there a hit list out there somewhere? Of, <laughs> of everybody that needs to be on the podcast. Um, that's a that's another good question, and I don't think I was necessarily as prepared as I thought I might be for that one. But I think there's I've seen a lot of your previous podcasts. You've had some pretty good folks out there to uh, to, to provide. The best. Yeah, so I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of it that you would even include me in that list. Uh, as far as who you should talk to next, are we talking about in the Sioux industry or the utility coordination aspect of it or, or both or, or just utilities both. in general? And I'll even say that we need a good utility coordinator on the show. Sure. Um, I would think that as far as utility coordination goes, I think there is someone that I rely on quite heavily for their experience and knowledge and uh that gentleman's name's Chris Sturmer. Okay. We're going to have to set it up. Chris, we're after you. You're on the hit. <laughs> Put on the spot and have to throw somebody out there. huh? 
Yeah. Uh, Albert, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure. Uh, lots of great insights on what's uh, going on in the Sioux industry and what we need to be focusing on to, to do better. Uh, and I appreciate your time. And, uh, well, you're all going to be seeing Albert on LinkedIn pretty soon. So, Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you.